Welcome to Ghostly. Did the devil make Arnie Johnson do it? Ghostly is a podcast that comes out every other week, and in each episode, we take a ghost story or paranormal event and look into its complete history. Rebecca then gives us evidence proving that the story is real, and my job is to debate those pieces of evidence and get you, the listener, prepared to vote on if it's real or not. If you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. And as always, we're your host. I'm Pat. I'm Rebecca. Rebecca, what's been going on? Uh, you know, it's it's summer. Yeah. Uh, and so I've been trying to get outside as much as possible. Oh, have, you, have you been watching the Olympics? I have been watching the Olympics. I'm an Olympics oh. junkie. Any ghost stories to report from the Olympics? Not yet, but well, just wait till the end of this episode. We'll see. Mm. Now, uh, now, how about you? Uh, I think we've been working on, well, we've been working on some ghostly stuff, but what's yeah. been going on with you personally? And then we can maybe chat about our ghostly stuff. Oh, um, personally, um, not much. Just, you know, doing some health things, getting getting myself ready for the inevitable. <laughs> okay. Um, and um, yeah, just, you know, just living. Living? Living life. You know what? I saw the Foo Fighters. Oh, at Milwaukee! Whoa, it was awesome. That that sounded good. You yeah. were safe though, of course, right? I was always safe. Masking, yep. vaccinated. Oh, yeah. We're all yep, the good yep. things. All those good things. Good. Um, but as far as ghostly goes, uh, we just received a shipment of five hundred buttons, the most buttons we've ever ordered at one time. <laughs> Because we have potentially four events coming up. Yeah, four live events. Yeah, by the end of the year. Yes. Uh, we've already talked about Elgin Fringe Fest on September 11th. Mm -hmm. That will be at 7.30. Yes. Uh, we do suggest that people get there early. Yeah. Because last time we sold out and people were turned away. So I hate to see people turned away. Uh, I will be running sound for two other podcasts at that event. So you can come to the two earlier podcasts as well. I know one of them is a true crime podcast. Oh, exciting. Yeah. I, I love true crime podcast. Mm -hmm. And the other one is one of our friends at Attack of the Snack. One of my favorite podcasts of all time. Because yeah. it's snacks. Snacks and funny people. Yeah. Nothing bad about it. It's no, all good. Bad. Very nothing. exciting. Super excited for it. I'm uh, super excited for Fringe in general. If you've never been to a Fringe Fest, it's just a lot of people doing whatever weird, fun things. And it's yeah. it's great. It's cheap. It's fun. It's live. Uh, and uh, you get to walk around downtown Elgin, um, Illinois, and uh, super fun. Well, yeah. you could walk around downtown Elgin at any time well, you want. I know, but you walk around and see fun <laughs> people doing fun things. So yeah. it's good. Uh, so yeah, we'll definitely be paying attention on social media for information about that. We also have a Facebook Live that's going to be coming up. Yeah, we do. End of uh, August. Yeah. To get people ready for our second event in September. Yeah, which will be at the Roth House. R-O-F-F. -F I know. House. At first I thought it was Roth, but it's not. It's yeah. Roth. F -f 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 I confirmed with um, Neil from Graveside Paranormal that there are still three tickets available for the overnight uh, investigation part of it. Yeah, at least as of this recording. So yes. definitely go check it out because this is this is the site of the first documented possession 
I believe, exorcism, possession. I'm not sure if it was the first. Well, one of the first, I guess yeah. we'll say. I think I think that's what they say. Uh, super, super exciting. And yes. you can come in and do a, an, a tour and a mini investigation during the day or one of these coveted overnight spots. You could just spend the whole night in the place and do all the investigating to your heart's content. Yeah, and Neil told me that he's going to do some uh, scrying, some smoke scrying. Oh fantastic yeah i'm excited to see that and if you don't know who uh who graveside paranormal is go back and listen to our country house episode you get to hear their um their evp machine uh, and listen to them talk about how they do their investigations yeah fantastic they're really they're really great people there super fun super fun so that's going to be great that'll be in september as well okay so we do have a shout out uh, for this episode. So there are two ways to get a shout out on Ghostly. The first way is the free way, and that's to give us a review on Apple Podcast. We always prefer the five-star reviews, but we will read any and all reviews that we receive. And the second way is to either buy us a coffee on buymeacoffee.com slash ghostlypodcast or by going to our website, ghostlypodcast.com, and hitting the buy us a coffee button in the menu bar or you could even become a member on Buy Me a Coffee for Ghostly. Yeah, absolutely. So we do have one, and that is, um, you want to read this one? Sure. We have a review, which we appreciate, a five-star review. As we, we said, we appreciate those. Uh, enjoyable and fun, says MS112358. Oh, yeah. <laughs> MS112358, yeah. Okay, maybe it's an alien. <laughs> no. no, but there are aliens, though. <laughs> All right. Uh, so this person says, I appreciate the twist they put on Supernatural podcasts by having a debate between a believer and a skeptic. It's fun to hear different stories and different takes on them. I definitely recommend. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate the recommendation. Yeah, Miss 112358. We really appreciate that. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So do we have any listener mail? We do. We do. Um, So I want to just say, I know there are some um, listener mails that you might be like, hey, I sent mine in. And where is it? Um, Know that I try to to do my best to get to them all. But um, I try to actually save some of the spookier sounding ones. Mm. I mean, they're all spooky sounding. It's not that. Um, but the, or maybe I should say the more involved ones um, to be maybe something that we get to as we get into a little bit more of the spooky sessions uh, of the of the year section of the year. So uh, anyways, I love them all. I love them all. Please keep sending them. There's so many now. Um, and, and but I it's not enough enough. It's never it's never enough. Never enough. Never enough. <laughs> all right. So this one is from Brandy. Uh, hey, guys. I had an encounter that happened to me about six years ago, and I wanted to share to see what you thought about it. First, I wanted to tell you that I really enjoy the podcast and can't get enough. I I listen every day going to and from work and anytime I'm in the car alone. I want to hear you. Kids make that impossible. (laughs) (laughs) I discovered it a couple of weeks ago, started with the Titanic and have listened to several other since. I'm not going in order, but we'll get all caught up soon. Now back to the reason for this email. As I mentioned above, I have kids. They are all too big for this now, but from time to time when they were toddlers, they'd crawl up on my side of the bed if they woke up in the middle of the night to snuggle with mom. We always left the bedroom door open. I'd be lying on my side and would feel the bed move due to stepping on the sideboard. The bed sets up kind of high and the pressure from their knee on the mattress. So I would roll over, uh, open the cover for them to crawl under and snuggle. 
Uh, one night, everyone was already in bed and I had stayed up due to not being tired and I'd rather not lie in bed tossing and turning. When I finally decided I would give it a try, still not overly sleepy slash tired, but it was getting pretty late, I crawled into bed. I had rolled on my side, so my back was facing the side of the bed. I wasn't in bed for more than a couple of minutes, and I felt the bed move. I felt the mattress sink with the weight of a knee, so I rolled over and pulled up the blanket for her to crawl under, and there was no one there. Lots of exclamation marks. (laughs) I played it over and over in my head. I know what had just happened. I was not almost asleep. I actually hadn't even shut my eyes. I wasn't sleepy, remember? So it wasn't a dream or my imagination. I could reason away the bed moving. Maybe I or my husband moved, although it was just my side. But I felt the weight on the mattress. All while the bed was still moving due to, quote unquote, someone crawling in. Before Pat says, maybe a pet, (laughs) we rented at the time and weren't allowed any pets. It freaked me out pretty badly. I couldn't go to sleep, but I sure wasn't getting out of the bed. I still can't make any sense of it. And I don't know who wanted to snuggle with me that night. Like that sentence freaks me out. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Everyone in the family had some type of experience in that old house, along with some friends who had an experience or two. I had many others, but none so extreme. I just wanted to share and see what you guys thought, especially Pat, curious what he thinks it was. Brandy, one tired mama. All right. Uh, Well, what I mean... I, I don't want to debate it. I really am happy that you sent this in to us. But if I had to say something, it was that you didn't realize you were half asleep. I know you said you were wide awake, but oftentimes we feel that way. And there's a lot of times when I, you know, will think that I haven't slept at all. But then again, I have, you know, it's like you wake up and you're like, man, I haven't slept at all. Or I'm waking up every five minutes. When in actuality, that's not the truth. In actuality, you know, you're waking up maybe once or something like that, and you just feel that way. What do I, you think, Rebecca? Uh, I, you know, it's hard to know. I mean, I guess, I, you know what, if this was the only thing, I would say, you know, it could just be a, a muscle memory or like a, you know, a thing where like it happens most of the, a lot of the time. So your brain just kind of puts it there. But then she mentions that other people had experiences in the house and um, it was it was not just like this was the only thing. So yeah. then I start to think me. Maybe there's something to it. So, sure, sure. You know, we'd well, love to hear more stories. Yeah, we always want to hear your stories. And you can send us a story if you would like. Uh, you could email us at info at ghostlypodcast.com. Or you could even uh, email us what you thought about uh, Brandy's incident. Uh, or you can use the contact form on ghostlypodcast.com. Or you can, uh, you can always do one of our favorite things. And that is to actually mail us something in the mail. Uh, we are P.O. Box number 264, Geneva, Illinois, 60134. And we just received a postcard from Jody. From Jody. I was going to say it was thank so Thank you so cool. much, Jody. Yes, thank you. Uh, maybe you can share a picture of it in the um, show notes. Absolutely. Yeah, it was really great. I really enjoy getting those kind of things. It's always nice to be able to just... You know, open up the mail and see ghostly stuff. Right? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, So, 
the polls. Polls time. Oh, geez. Well, we get two parts to the poll now, remember? Yeah, we do. We do. We do. All right. So our last episode, we talked about the Sausage King murder. And the question was... Does the Sausage King's wife still haunt Chicago? Yes, that is the question. So, yes, said... Uh, sorry, 52.4% said yes, and 47.6% uh, said no. Very close. I'm very coming close. so close to getting a, a win. I haven't won since February. Yeah, well, but uh, that's maybe true with the yes, no. But what about the overall rating? Well, people can now vote on how haunted they believe something is. Um, you know, that that can change based upon what our actual question is, but that's the essence of it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, one being not haunted at all, and 10 being the most haunted place ever. And sometimes we'll, we'll get people that say, no, it's not haunted, but then give us like an, an 8 or a 10 on the <laughs> how haunted scale. Yeah, or vice versa. It's, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's just, you know, this is, this is how haunted you believe it is. Yeah. And uh, we had a pretty low number for this time. Yeah, what was it? Yeah, see, so I would say poll-wise, overall, people say it's haunted, but... But it's not very haunted. Not very haunted at all. So, yeah, I take that as almost a win. Almost. So, uh, we're going to get right into the episode here. It's time. When we did our Whole House episode, we had mentioned that the Devil Baby was something that would be more of a Bob After Dark episode. Remember that? Yes. And uh, Bob, of course, took this as a challenge to do that episode. Yes. Uh, And he did a great job. Uh, His episode was really good. But within that episode, he challenged Ghostly to do the Devil Made Me Do It story. So I originally looked into the story, but found out that it was going to be the next Conjuring. So we waited. And we waited. Uh, And the Conjuring movie finally came out. It was delayed a lot due to COVID. Uh, It came out and now it's the proper time to do this episode. Yeah, very exciting. I would say. Uh, So I wanted to compare what the Hollywood version would be to the supposedly real story. Now, I do want to put out a warning to those that are sensitive to these kind of things. Uh, This will be an especially creepy episode. We will talk about an exorcism and a murder and some people might find that to be a bit of a trigger to them. Absolutely. I, I mean, not that, you know, you know us, we're not going to go into super graphic detail, but certainly those subjects are, are in this episode. And uh, just be cautious, parents or anyone that might be sensitive. Absolutely. And, you know, if we did go into uh, details, uh, that this murder was pretty gruesome. It was. So um, anyways... Um, Do we have a ghost story, Rebecca? We do have a ghost story. All right. It's time for a spooky tale from Rebecca. I'm worried. I'm worried about what's happening to me. These last few months have been unbelievable and stressful. Things have happened that I never would have believed. It started when Debbie and I had found a new place to rent. Seemed like a great place. It's a little dark and musty. Debbie is my world, and I would do anything for her and her family. So I was happy we were taking the next step. 
Her little brother, David, is like my own brother. I take him fishing, and we just have the best time. But after David and his mother came to help Debbie and I get our new place ready, he was never the same. He claimed to see an old man and started getting wounds that made no sense. Eventually, he was snarling and swearing, things no normal boy would do. Every day, I would work all day landscaping and then come home and help hold David down while the Warrens and the priests would try and save his soul. He said he was possessed. One night, I was so tired and I felt so bad for David. I started to scream at the demon to take me, take me and not my little buddy. Nothing seemed to change at first, but a few days later, everything stopped. Everything quieted down and David seemed okay. We were all so relieved. But the last few days, I keep seeing weird things. Things happen in the corner of my eye, but when I turn, there's nothing there. This morning, when I bent over to wash my face, when I looked up, I saw I saw something else, something that wasn't me. Now I'm back from the hospital. They tell me my car ran into a tree. I don't remember anything. I was just driving. And then I felt a rage coming over me for no reason. And then I was waking up in the hospital. I seem physically okay, but I'm not sure about my mind. I feel like I'm losing control, like something is slowly taking over. I hope I can get control back. Wow. So this is pretty much um, an account of what the events were in The Devil Made Me Do It uh, case. Some Um, of it, yeah. Yeah. So, but you just took it upon Arnie's point of view. Yeah, this is Arnie's point of view. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Well, we're going to take a small break, and when we return... We'll get to the history. All right. Oh, hey there, Count Panic. I got a question for you. What's that, Bob? What do you know about Mothman, the Loch Ness Monster, ghosts, demons, and things that go bump in the night? Not much, Bob. Well, lucky for you, we host a podcast called Bob After Dark, where we talk about legends, lore, and the supernatural. Wow. Where can I find this podcast? Wherever you find your great podcasts at. All right. Time for some hashtag pet facts. Pets, facts, from a skeptic point of view. Pets, facts, he presents it all to you. Pets, facts, facts, facts. facts. Pet facts. <laughs> uh, so the Devil Made Me Do It case is the first known court case in the United States where the defense claimed that they were innocent because the defendant was possessed by a demon. Possessed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, since this was the plot for The Conjuring 3, uh, then it goes without saying that this is another of Ed and Lorraine Warren's cases, right? Yep, absolutely. As all The Conjuring seem to be. I know that they want to do um, they want to do another one where there's a werewolf in it. Oh. 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 Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I'm really interested well, in that. Well, I, I know eventually we, I, I, we haven't gotten to The Conjuring 2 yet. We're definitely going to get there. It was just this had to come first because it just came out. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and because we were challenged to do this one. Yes. Um, so um, the story is set in Brookfield, Connecticut, and starts with an 11-year-old boy named David Glatzel. His sister, Debbie Glatzel, and her boyfriend, Arnie Johnson. The Glatzel family rented a house, and as they were cleaning out the house, weird things started to happen to David. David claimed to see an old man, and this old man was pushing him and basically terrified him. And of course, nobody else saw this old man. They wrote off David's sightings, thinking that this was his excuse not to work around the rental property. But David claimed that the old man vowed to do harm to the Glatzels if they moved into the rental home. The old man didn't always appear as an old man, though. Sometimes he appeared as some kind of demonic beast that spoke Latin and said he would steal David's soul. That's pretty brutal. <laughs> yes. Um, David started to have night terrors. He was acting strange and had unexplained scratches and bruises. The family called upon a Catholic priest, and he attempted to bless the house. But the family decided, even after the blessing, that they no longer wanted to rent the house because they believed that evil things were happening there. At least that is some accounts of that. Yeah, I will say, as I was reading different accounts, um, the order of which house and when and all of that gets a little muddled and I'm sure for you, we, we will discuss this, but you might have some other explanations for things. <laughs> Possibly. Microclimates. <laughs> it's all microclimates. But I think, uh, the, the, would you say, though, that it is fact that something was going on that they felt the need to call in the Warrens, whatever that was, whether they should have chosen the Warrens as the people to call in or whatever, but they did call the Warrens in. Some would say yes, and some would say no, that they ah. that uh, it wasn't after the events that they actually called the war the Warrens in. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but we're gonna talk about okay. that, I'm sure. Okay. Um so David's night terrors became day terrors. And this lasted for twelve days before the family allegedly called in the Warrens. Okay, okay. Um, Lorraine allegedly witnessed a black mist materialize next to David. That's an apparent indication of a malevolent presence. Debbie and her mother told the Warrens that they had seen David being beaten and choked by invisible hands and that the red marks had appeared on his neck afterwards. David had started to growl, hiss, speak in otherworldly voices and recite passages from the Bible or Paradise Lost. Have you ever heard of Paradise Lost? Yes. So Par Paradise Lost is a poem written in the 17th century by John Milton. Uh, it is considered to be Milton's masterpiece, and it helped solidify his reputation as, as one of the greatest English poets of his time. The poems concern the biblical story of the fall of man and the temptation of Adam and Eve by the fallen angel Satan and their expulsion from the Garden of Eden. Yeah, this is like the Descent into Hell poem. Yeah. yeah. And it's like in 12 books or something like that. Yeah. Which is now in 10 books, but it's all in the same book. Yes. So that's interesting. <laughs> uh, the Glantzels the recounted how each night a family member would remain awake with David as he suffered through spasms and convulsions. And after receiving a prognosis of multiple possessions from the Warrens, 
David was subjected to three lesser exorcisms. That's important that it's lesser exorcisms. They weren't actually performed by the church, and they weren't necessarily real exorcisms. Yes. Uh, Lorraine asserts that David levitated. He ceased breathing for a time and even demonstrated the supernatural ability of precognition. Uh, specifically in relation to the manslaughter Arnie would later commit. Okay. So according to eyewitness testimony, Arnie Johnson coerced one of the demons, purportedly uh, with David, uh, to possess him while participating in David's exorcism. And in October 1980, the Warrens contacted Brookfield police to warn them that the situation was becoming dangerous. Arnie and Debbie provided first-hand accounts for the version of events depicted in Discovery Channel's A Haunting uh, episode where demons dwell. They did not believe in demonic activities themselves, but they claimed their father to be an eyewitness to demonic possession. Both Arnie and Debbie were adamant in their support of the Warren's recollection of events. So... I haven't seen this episode, which makes me sad. Or if I did, I don't remember it. But uh, I seriously love the show A Haunting. If yeah. anyone has not watched that show. I have not. You need to. It's fantastic. <laughs> but it is on Discovery Plus now. So, yeah, I don't have that. But yeah. uh, <laughs> it was such a good show. Mm. Um, anyway, so that is interesting. Um, yeah. Okay. So, according to the Discovery Channel show, A Haunting, a few days after Arnie egged the demon on during the exorcism, he was attacked rather viciously by the demon, which allegedly took control of his car and forced it into a tree, like you said in the ghost story. Fortunately, though, Arnie was unharmed. After this incident, Arnie returned to the rental property to examine an old well that supposedly housed the demon. In both the dramatized version and his own personal accounts, Arnie recollects that this was his final encounter with the demon while completely lucid. After encountering the demon at the well and making eye contact with it, he became possessed. The Warrens claimed to have warned him not to do this, although their warning was not mentioned in A Haunting. Okay. So as David's condition worsened further, Debbie and, and Arnie who had been living in the mother's home, decided it was time to move. Uh, So they just were like, nope, (laughs) we're out. Uh, So Debbie was hired by Alan Bono, a new resident in Brookfield, as a dog groomer. Debbie and Arnie began renting an apartment close to her place of employment, and after moving in, uh, Arnie started to exhibit odd behaviors that was strikingly similar to David's causing Debbie to fear that he had become possessed as well. And according to Debbie, Arnie would fall into trance-like state, wherein he would growl and hallucinate, but later have no memory of it. So on February 16, 1981, Arnie called in sick to his job at Wright Tree Service and joined Debbie at the kennel where she worked along with his sister, Wanda, and Debbie's nine-year-old cousin, Mary. Bono, the couple's landlord, and Debbie's employer at the kennel, 
um, bought the group lunch at a local bar and proceeded to drink heavily. After lunch, the group returned to the kennel. Debbie then took the girls to get pizza, but insisted that they return quickly because she anticipated that there was some kind of trouble. When they returned, Bono, he was intoxicated at this point, and he became agitated. Everyone left the room at Debbie's urging except for Bono, who seized Mary and refused to let go. Arnie headed back to the apartment and ordered Bono to release Mary. Wanda recounted the following events to the police. Mary ran for the car as Debbie attempted to mitigate the situation by standing between the two men. Wanda tried in vain to pull Arnie away. Arnie, growling like an animal, then drew a five-inch pocket knife and stabbed Bono repeatedly. Bono died several hours later, and according to Arnie's lawyer, Bono had suffered four or five tremendous wounds, uh, mostly to his chest and one that stretched from his stomach to the base of his heart. Arnie was discovered two miles from the site of the killing and was held at the Bridgeport Correctional Center on bail for $125,000. This was the first unlawful killing in the history of Brookfield, Connecticut. Wow, they made it a pretty long time. Yeah, and I like that it's an unlawful killing. Right, because they're... <laughs> well, I mean, to me, actually, it is kind of interesting hearing this account because like, if he was holding on to a little girl and wasn't yeah. letting go, and now, again, maybe you didn't need to kill him, but like... You could, I mean, so a lawful killing would yeah. be if you were defending yourself or others or whatever. Sure. But, but it is funny to hear that phrase. I like it. But the very day after the killing, Lorraine Warren informed the Brookfield police that Arnie was possessed when the crime was committed. And a media blitz soon surrounded the story, fueled in part by the Warrens, whose agents promised that, that lectures, a book, and even a movie detailing the gruesome case were in the works. This is the day after. Yeah, I know that I, you, I, yeah, I, I, this is, there's mixed accounts on this, the timing wise. So I, I don't know. Well, it is true that Lorraine came out and she, um, you know, told the police and told the media that this was uh, a possession case. Yes, they were very open about that. And they asked if uh, there was going to be any lecturers, and she said yes, that there would. And then she, asked, she they asked her if she was in any dealings as far as movie rights go. And she said that she was not, but that her agents were. Hmm. Again, I yeah, I don't know about that. I haven't seen that in a lot of places. But anyways, oh, but there's is, a lot of things to keep. But this is this is fact, though. I mean, okay. you could actually listen to that particular oh, thing. Okay. All right. Uh, okay, I'll so trust the, you. the trial took place in Connecticut's Superior Court in Danbury, beginning on October 28, 1981. Uh, Arnie's lawyer attempted to submit a plea of not guilty by virtue of possession, but the presiding judge, Robert Callahan, promptly rejected this defense. Callahan argued that no such defense could ever exist in a court of law due to the lack of evidence and that it would be irrelevant and unscientific to allow related testimony. The defense chose to imply that Arnie acted in self-defense. Because of this, the jury was not legally allowed to consider demonic possession as a viable explanation for the killing. 
The jury deliberated for 15 hours over three days before convicting Arnie on November 24, 1981, of first-degree manslaughter. He was sentenced to 10 to 20 years in prison, though he served only five years. Yeah, for good behavior, I think. Yeah, but it just seems, you know, um, weird that you can kill somebody and get off in five years. Yeah. That a person's life is only worth five years of your life, even though this is a self-defense kind of thing. So, Yeah, I, obviously they must have, the jury must have felt something that they, and it was only manslaughter, not murder. So yeah. there's a little bit of something there. So in the aftermath of the trial, there was a television film created uh, called The Demon Murder Case and was aired on NBC, although none of the names were used in that. And so they made it seem like it could have been about anything. Yeah. Uh, And they were starting to prepare for a feature film, but that was stalled due to internal conflicts. So in 1983, Gerald Brittle... Uh, with the assistance of Lorraine Warren, published a book about the incident called The Devil in Connecticut. Lorraine had stated that profits from the book would be shared with the family. And they did. They did give some money out. They paid out $2,000 to the family. Mm. Doesn't seem like enough money, though, does it? I don't know how much they made. But it's still, I mean, they got a movie deal out of it and everything, so... Uh, In 2006, the book was republished, and David and his brother Carl Jr. sued the authors and publishers for violating their rights to privacy and intentional infliction of emotional distress. Now, David was the one that was originally possessed, right? Uh, Correct. But I I think Carl Jr., from what I've read, was the main person um, for the suit, um, but that, you know... David was supposedly a part of it as well. Well, Carl uh, also claimed that the book alleged that he committed criminal and abusive acts against his family and others. Ooh, that's not good. Yeah. He said that the possession story was a hoax created by Ed and Lorraine Warren to exploit the family and his brother's mental illness, and that the book presented him as the villain because he did not believe in the supernatural claims. So Carl said that the Warrens told him the story would make the family millionaires and would help get Arnie out of jail. And according to Carl Glatzkel, the the father, uh, the publicity generated by the incident forced, or excuse me, by Carl Jr., according to Carl Jr., the publicity generated by the incident forced him to drop out of school and lose friends and business opportunities. Uh, Carl made his own book called Alone Through the Valley, about his versions of the events surrounding his brother. Of course, Lorraine defended her work with the family, saying that the six priests who were involved in the incident agreed at the time that the boy was possessed and that the supernatural events she described were real, although I cannot find out who any of these six priests were. Yeah, they definitely um, were not allowed to talk about any involvement with this case the priests were yeah. just like the the church was like <laughs> nope not allowed to talk about it yeah carl glatzel senior denies telling the author that his son was even possessed and arnie and debbie are now married and have two children they wholeheartedly support the warren's accounts of the demonic possession and have stated that the glatzels in question are suing simply for monetary purposes the event inspired the 
premise of the 2021 film, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. Yes. So, Rebecca, you were going to talk about some of the differences between the actual movie and what is said to be the real events of this. Yeah. So, honestly, the first part of the movie um, where they go through, you know, the the initial story is is fairly true right like you know david is possessed the warrens are involved in these minor exorcisms arnie asks for the demon to possess him he kills the landlord and the lawyer intends to use the defense that he was possessed so those things i mean again quote unquote true we can debate allegedly allegedly true true, but but those are the things those are the stories that um, are told by the family and okay. the Warrens, right? Um, as far as the movie goes, though, <laughs> like almost everything else is completely made up. Like not even, <laughs> not even close. Like okay. nothing involved. Like more than any other Conjuring movie, um, this one is just has a bunch of things that are completely just made up. Like whole cloth made up, not even mm. like related. So there's no witch. There's no occult. There's no Satanist woman with a witch totem. Um, there's no curse or the three souls or whatever the things that you know this person wanted. And um, the old priest. There's no. There's no old priest with a daughter. <laughs> like you know. And I'm sorry because I know some of this is getting into the plot of the movie, but really, spoiler no, alert. Spoiler alert. Sorry <laughs> about that. Um, there's like there's another set of girls that are supposedly that or went through a similar thing to what Arnie and David went through. That is also not true at all. Um, Ed Warren um, did not have a heart attack during this case. It was a yeah. different case. Um, and then the exorcism scene and really most of the others in the movie were just really over the top from reality. Like whatever, you know, has been described, it was nothing like what was depicted in the movie. And that's always the case to some extent, of course, but this seemed extreme <laughs> with like what they put in there. Um, now, according to the director, the murder scene is fairly close to what happened um, in that it was a very difficult scene. Obviously, you know, this is somebody that was was killed. We can debate, you know, obviously why or who or whatever, but um, but it did really happen. And so he tried to keep it fairly close to reality though the name is changed of the of the landlord um but he did uh um have a a business that was a dog um kennel grooming business so um so that part's true well Uh, you know um actually if somebody like when someone stabs somebody it usually does not does not lead to death sure so this is a pretty heinous thing that he uh, stabbed him over and over again, mm-hmm. at least five times, and um, that that caused it. And he must have been pretty, pretty inebriated, right? Inebriated, yeah. Inebriated in order to um, allow this kind of thing to happen. Because I mean, you would imagine, even after being stabbed, you're not just going to fall to the floor. It's it's not it's not like that unless you know they happen to hit the lungs or the heart or something like that which the heart is very, very hard to hit. Uh, pretty much they have to 
crack the the rib cage in order to do <laughs> Let's that. Keep ourselves from getting too graphic. <laughs> I'm just saying though, it's like it doesn't it doesn't happen that way. Like you stab somebody and they fall to the ground right away. Stabbing murders are very violent. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, in anyway, so they tried to. He tried to. They, they didn't need to enhance it. I guess we'll say is okay. what what he said. Um, and then Johnson Arnie himself, um, in the real real storyline, never said. Um, at least as far as like the court was concerned that he was possessed. He just said that he couldn't remember what happened. Mm. Um, it was others that were saying, no, like the reason you can't remember is because you were possessed, though now he claims it. So I, I you know, that's that's changed. Um, but I then the one thing, too, I forgot to put on here that is different is in the movie, they imply that they did use the possession defense but as you told us, yeah, they tried. The ju- they tried, but yeah. the judge said no, so they were not able to use it. But the movie implies that they did, and that that was they were somewhat successful with it. But that is not true. They were not no. allowed to use it. They tried, but couldn't. No, and I, I think we're going to talk about this a little bit during the debate, um, because I mean, how like the devil is the symbol of evil, right? Yes. That's why it's, you know, evil with a D in front of it. Um, and the devil being the, you know, just the symbol of evil, then any evil act can be implied that the devil did that with a, you know, with a temptation or something. Are you talking about like why for the court case, why they wouldn't yeah. let them use it? Yeah. Yeah. And because they can't prove that. Well, it's tricky. I mean, though, uh, I mean, this is in the uh, this is another difference. So in the in the movie, Ed Warren says, you know, the 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 court allows people to swear on the Bible and on God that they're telling the truth. So they they do acknowledge the existence of God. Yeah. um, And that it's time that they acknowledge the existence of the devil as well. In the real story, that is what the the lawyer said. Uh, so that is something that was said, uh, and that, that, I, that was the, the argument on the other side. Um, there had been some court cases in England or Europe mm-hmm. where they had England. tried using some of this. Uh, they didn't actually get to court, but that's what they were planning yes. on doing. Mm-hmm. And okay. So, uh, I've done some research into this too. And up until 1846, I believe, um, you were not allowed to testify against somebody or you were not allowed to be a witness or be in a court of law and swear because, you know, they make you swear on the Bible. And that's, I, I think, what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, so if you were an atheist, then you couldn't swear on the Bible. So your word meant nothing. And it wasn't until 1846 that that was changed in the United States. After 1846, um, they realized that it really, you know, there could be people that have something important to say that don't believe in the Bible. So the Bible swearing would be irrelevant. Uh, So they do allow atheists and people of other religions to be witnesses, to, um, to be on the stand, um, as long as they swear an affirmation of some sort, of some sort. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it could be about themselves, even. Sure. Sure. 
Um, but basically what they're trying to say, though, is that you are swearing to everything that you believe that this that what I'm about to say is the truth. Yes. So it is possible to not believe in these kind of things and still, you know, give give testimony in a court. Yeah. No, it, it is. I think it's a complex thing. I mean, because there's a part of me that's like, well, I mean, whatever defense you want to use, I mean, it's a your call <laughs> if you think it'll be successful or not. Um, but I, you know, can also see the court, a judge being like, I am not making this into a crazy court where people are going to laugh at the court and what it does. Yeah. And, you know, uh, and they, they never difficult. appealed what the um, what the judge said. No, no. They obviously felt that whatever thing they got was probably the best they were going to get. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I think it's time we take a break and then we will get on to the debate. Sounds good. All right. During this last year, things have been really tough for theater groups. Rebecca and I belong to a production company and theater group called Memoriam Development. Memoriam has several podcasts that we are often on, and several members have been on Ghostly, like Nick, Amanda, and of course, Bob from Bob After Dark. And we have also been in several of their live shows. Obviously, those couldn't happen this last year. So Memoriam has taken one of their most popular shows, the horror anthology Nightshade, and made it digital. They're available to everyone, and you can access them at any time. They've been fantastically spooky, I I gotta say. Right up our ghostly listeners' alley. Live theater is something close to our hearts, and we can't wait to get back to it when we get the all clear. But until then, check out Nightshade and support this Chicago theater group that gives local talent a place to shine. And please consider showing some ghostly love and liking Memoriam Development on all the social medias to find out even more. Thank you. Memoriam Development. Rebecca, why don't you start the debate? All right, let's do this. So uh, just to say, I've got a few pieces of evidence, many of which you talked about in the history, because that's just kind of how this episode goes. Yeah. So we're going to now, you know, now that you've shared all of that, let's let's debate those things. And my history, I want to say it's a supposed history. It's a quote unquote history for yeah. you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I also want to say, so I'm, I'm, I've got five things that we're going to talk about. And some of them are for David. Okay. And some of them are for Arnie. And my overall thought for that is that we can't, I can't argue that Arnie was possessed without also arguing that David was first possessed. Okay. Right. Like I, I in my mind, I need to kind of 
show that part sure. and then I show the Arnie. So sure. there's there's both uh, in here. Okay, so first one, um, basically this is from the director of the movie. Okay. Okay, Chavez. Um, he says that David reported having a quote-unquote traumatic encounter in a room with an unexplained burn stain through his mattress and onto the floor below. Um, and then from another source, I found the mom talking about this incident. And she says that she saw her son fall suddenly on the bed. Back home that night, he told her that someone had pushed him and that a little old man had appeared before him with a burnt with burnt looking skin and a plaid shirt torn at the elbow, pointing a finger and warning him, beware. Sounds like Freddy. Yeah, right? Super creepy. So like I said, there's kind of like different versions of this story that get told as far as like the old man, you know, you mentioned him seeing the old man and this thing about a burn, either the bed was burned or the guy was burned, the shirt, whatever. Um, but that something happened in that rental property that was kind of like a first incident. Oh, I guess this would be another difference from the movie. In the movie, it was something with a water bed and definitely very yeah, Freddy a, a hand yeah. reaching out from the water bed or whatever. Hmm. That is not what they claimed. But but it was something on a bed. On a bed with this kid while they were helping you know, get ready with the um uh the the rental house. Okay. So okay. So what I know that you need to first explain, you know, David's possession in order to explain Arnie's possession. Yes. But David claimed in that court case that uh, his brother brought about that he was never possessed. So I I don't know how to argue this one. Um, I believe that Ed and Lorraine... Uh, convinced them that this would be a really good story. And I believe that their intentions were not good in this, that they intended to make this into a book and make this into lectures and charge people money and eventually make a featured film, which is now out there, uh, which is The Conjuring. So I can't argue these <laughs> these facts based upon that. What I can say is... um. Maybe there was something else that called the that caused the burning on the bed. Maybe he snuck in matches or something in there. Okay. And um, about the that the mother um, saw him um, being pushed onto the bed. Uh, the mother, I think, sides with or used to side. I don't think she currently does, but I think she used to side with the um, with the Warrens because uh, there was a book deal in the process where they were going to make money. And it turned out to only be $2,000, which is not enough to go through all of the torment that this family has gone through since then. I am not sure if the mother what is still with us. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Yeah. Um, but, uh, the family has pretty much gone into like hiding since then, or, you know, a lot of the members of the family don't want to discuss this ever again. Mm. Well, but the mother, this was part of the, the haunting episode, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, so not that long ago that she yeah. was still telling these stories and that, um, again, it's multiple people, you know, that were around at that time claiming that David 
you know, again, this this was the first initial incident um, and that it was something something weird. Again, nothing necessarily paranormal about it other than he claimed to see a, a little old man who nobody else saw. Um, sure. You know, and I think at first they didn't necessarily, you know, it's a kid. They thought he was trying to get out of doing work at the house. You know, oh, he's he's he, I mean, he's 11. So he's a little old for like an imaginary friend. Um, but, you know, still a kid could be an imagination. Um, but it was something that later on they felt was um, a reason for the behavior change. Um, and they claim that the Warrens did not come in until after this behavior escalated well and by the way um david and his brother uh did not win that case um but they did stop them from republishing the book and um the author of the book uh had some claims that they wanted to uh that the family had agreed but then they didn't and they didn't care well and i and i you know hey if they're if the book claimed some things about Carl Jr. that were either untrue or unflattering. Uh, you know, he certainly, I could see that he would have a claim for getting that not published, though it seems like if they didn't win the case, that's a little bit odd. Um, but e- anyways, but they they must have, the, the publishing house must have felt that it wasn't worth republishing. But the case was that. not about, was David possessed? The no. case was whether or not the publisher and the author of this book could go on telling this story. Right. But obviously the story, it is Debbie and Arnie's story as well. And that is yeah. partly how the movie got made. Absolutely. It was not the Warrens to be. I mean, Lorraine was certainly involved in some of that. Well, but I would ar- argue that they were very involved in that. Well, I think Ed passed away long before that. He never saw any of the Conjuring movies. Yeah. Um, but Lorraine was involved in sharing some of their stories yeah. with that. But I mean, here's the thing. Arnie never claimed to be possessed until Lorraine brought it up the day after the murder. And then he started to claim that. Yeah, but things were happening. And Debbie, as you said in your in your opening had seen things happen. I, but we're getting a little okay. bit off of our evidence here. Our okay. evidence right now is about this first incident that happened at this house, um, supposedly to David. Okay. So um, so what what would your rating of this evidence be? Like, did did this happen to, to David? Did he see the little man? Yeah, I'm going to have to go zero on this one because I believe it was mental illness um mixed in with um pre preteen angst and um i i think everything there could be explained um you know the mother might have walked in as he was falling onto the bed and he could have been standing on the bed and fell back mhm so i mean like none of this seems supernatural to me Okay. Uh, for me, I'm going to give this this part a six. A six. Again, okay. it's a little bit early on in the story. Um, I think the mom probably wouldn't have thought anything about it whatsoever if later that evening her son hadn't told her about seeing something and being told, you know, being warned about things. So, 
I think that that's what made it a little bit more supernatural. All right. So I'm going to talk about um, something that's a little different. Um, I found this in, uh, I would say, I would call it a contemporary article in the New York Times, meaning this is an article that came out during the trial or during okay. the during the time before the trial, right? Okay. Um, and in that article, um, Debbie, so this is Arnie's girlfriend, mm-hmm. David's sister, said to the reporter, um, look at this one. She pushed a color snapshot across the table. It showed her brother, a mop-haired boy of 12, Sorry, I guess he's 12. Uh, lying on his back on the floor with a sloppy expression on his face. What's a sloppy expression look I like? I don't know. Mm-hmm. This is old-fashioned reporting. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Kneeling over him. This press- is the 1980s. This isn't like it was in the 20s or something like I- that. Yeah, that is really weird. It's written very like differently <laughs> yeah. than how we'd have it today. I mean, uh- I wonder if she referred to herself as a skirt. <laughs> oh. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, okay. Kneeling over him, pressing a crucifix from a chain around his neck onto the boy's forehead was Mr. Johnson, uh, which is Arnie. She calls him Cheyenne. Cheyenne or, um, that's like his middle name that's or his, his nickname. Name, yeah. yeah. Um, the next photograph seems to show Arnie, um, Mr. Johnson trying to hold the boy down and the crucifix with its chain broken is lying on the floor. So these are photos Okay. That are supposedly taken during the exorcisms that of David. Well, there was no real exorcism performed on on da- on David. The Let lesser, me just say that. Lesser exorcisms. The lesser exorcisms were performed by the Warrens. So the Warrens were already involved at this point. And yeah, I mean, they might have um done these kind of things to them, but it doesn't mean that anything was real necessarily. They just assumed that it was. Um, and let's see. So the boy was 12 years old. He was lying on his back on the floor with a sloppy expression on his face. And, uh, David was, I mean, excuse me, uh, Arnie was kneeling over him, pressing a crucifix from a chain around his neck onto the boy's forehead. Does that sound like that has to be supernatural? I mean, I think we could recreate this and it would not be supernatural at all. I think that it would be really weird to to do something like this if you didn't, if you weren't doing it in response to something. Or that you're planning to do a book and a movie and do lecturers about this. I mean, I believe that, like, do I believe that Lorraine believed it was real? Yeah, I believe she believed it was real. I believe that Ed, I believe that he coaxed this whole hoax situation into the scenario and made them do all these things. I guess there's no part of me that thinks that this this family whole cloth made this up. I've seen no evidence of that whatsoever. Now, I mean, I do think we could argue that, and I don't believe this, but it, 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 you think you could argue that David had mental illness he was maybe having early stage schizophrenia or something and was seeing things and was talking weird and 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 doing things that made them feel and then the Warrens came in and maybe like kind of pushed that. Which um, I also believe that most people have some form of mental illness, just maybe not as extreme as some other cases. So I'm not saying that in a negative way. Uh, I'm just saying that as being that he was an 11-year-old boy that was obviously troubled. Um, and I believe that that's what this was. 
Yeah, but I just mean like I like these pictures. I don't think that they. I don't. I don't believe, and this is this is our debate that they were staged. Like I feel like this is in fact something that happened. That these these lesser exorcisms and there were priests involved, even though they were not allowed to do a full official exorcism. Um, that that they that these things did happen, and these are photos from that. Okay. Um, but but even if even thought. if this happened, that doesn't mean that the event is real. I mean. Is it possible for a human being to hold a cross on another human being's head? Yes. Is it possible for that human being to be laying down in the ground when you do it? Yes. So how do I rate this evidence? I, I don't know. Because like, if you're asking me, are these pictures real? Yeah, I believe that they're real. I believe they're 100% real. I'd go a 10 as far as that goes. But the thing is, I don't believe that they represent anything supernatural at all. Okay. Just that people believe that there was some supernatural to it doesn't mean that there was. Okay. So I'm going to give this one a seven. Okay. A uh, little bit more belief for me um, well, that we it, have some of this evidence. What does it prove to you, though? I mean, that's like, what is it a seven? What, I, like, I don't understand what we're rating as far as this goes. Well, for me, it's rating that the this is proof of the... Of of that this is something that was happening in this house that these these things did happen that this boy um, was possessed or had something going on with him and that they did in fact do these exorcisms that well, Arnie was involved in those exorcisms. Yeah, I don't think anybody would debate that there was no lesser exorcism performed at all. I believe that the Warrens did that. Mm -hmm. That's what they do. And I believe that they did it, and but I don't believe that that proves possession, though. Okay, and I do. So you know. Okay, that's, so that's, that's what your debate. seven is. Yeah. So do I believe that this proves a possession? Is that what this? That piece is of what evidence? the question is. Yeah. Okay. No zero. Okay. Because this could be reenacted. There's nothing supernatural in this piece of evidence. All right. Me. Okay. Let's go to the next one here. One more on David. Okay. All right. So this is what. The mother, Judy, would say uh, he would kick, bite, spit, swear, terrible words. Worse, she said he experienced strangling attempts by invisible hands where he tried to pull um, hands, invisible hands away from his neck. Um, powerful forces would flop him rapidly head to toe like a rag doll. Okay. Um, so then this just kind of goes with that flopping the head thing. Members of the family told the Post, one of the newspapers, that as the demon took over, David would lower his head and then raise it up with his face contorted into a snarl. They would see only the whites of his eyes and he would laugh hideously. So I know there's a lot here, so we can we can take it part by part. But basically, these are all the kind of science, physical signs of possession mm -hmm. um, that were reported. And if you haven't yet, watch the end of the movie where they play the excerpt from the exorcism where you can hear the growling and the threatening words described in this evidence. Okay. So, kicking, biting, spitting, swearing. What do we think? Well, okay. So, in order to go over this, I need to talk about something in my personal life. Okay. Um, from when I was about 18 till about when I was 22 years old, I was a security officer at a hospital. And uh, as a security guard in a hospital, I was uh, one of my duties was to restrain patients. 
Um, so I got a call at one time, and this was um, this was early in the day actually, and they had brought a a um, black gentleman into the room, uh, and I, I I always hated getting there first. Um, so I might have taken a little bit of my time to get up there. I, I I will admit that. And when I got up there, everybody that was a security officer or you know anybody that would do a restraint, which sometimes they used housekeeping. There was a really big guy in housekeeping that would that would help out. They were all involved in this. And this person was lashing out. This person this person was screaming. This person this person was showing his teeth. Uh, this person was spitting on people, was biting people. Um, so they had to actually like restrain his mouth. So they used like a blanket or not a blanket, like a sheet from the bed to do that, to, to hold him down. Well, at one point, um, the, the sheet came undone and he was yelling out Michael Jackson lyrics. Um, I think beat it was the song he was singing. Um, and it was pretty, pretty scary. I must say I was really, really scared. Um, and then I, I had my arms on his leg, restraining one of his legs, his left leg. And, um, at some point everybody knew to release him because something was happening when he got to the, the chorus of the Michael Jackson song. And, um, I did not know. I didn't get the the cue to do this. So I held on and he actually kicked his leg up and threw me across the room where I flew in the air across the room and landed against the wall and was like taken aback by that. Anyways, I have seen lots of things like this. And this person obviously had mental issues that he was dealing with. And um, because he threw me across the room, I believe he was on PCP as well. Um, so this is a physical thing that can happen. Nothing in here says something that is outside of the physical realm that can happen. And I do not believe this person was possessed. If he was, he was possessed by the not yet dead Michael Jackson. <laughs> so imagine, though, that instead of an uh, of of a of a grown man, the person that you were restraining was a twelve year old boy who had no history of drug use. Yeah, well, I don't think it's all just the drug use that did that. I believe it was the. I believe it was the extent of his mental mental illness that caused this whole thing to happen. Just he just so happened to be on PCP at the time. I believe that that added to it. So I'm saying that, in, and in that kind of situation, it's the fight or flight kind of thing in the person that is being restrained that gives them this superhuman strength for some reason. Uh, it, I've seen it a lot and I've seen it from younger boys, maybe not 12. I've seen a 15 year old boy do the same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I guess, like I said, it's just, it's, it's interesting to me because it's like every night this happened and then all of a sudden it seems to have gone away. And I, I've never, I, I, 
I think my thing that I find confusing is that the so Carl Jr. claims that this is mental illness, um, but I have not read anything about what that mental illness is. No, and nor does he have to say what it was. No, but I, I guess you know, like it's HIPAA. True, he doesn't have to say, but you can always disclose things. But I, I guess my thing is like at the time, like what you know, let's just say the family didn't believe in mental illness. They chose instead to believe in possession. Something happened that made it where he was no longer having these nightly episodes. And I don't, it wasn't like they said, oh yeah, we took him to a doctor and got him medication or, and plus in the eighties, there really wasn't necessarily as much of that. So it just seems weird to me that you know, after the these these episodes, um, that he all of a sudden, you know, things just supposedly got better. Hmm. Well, I, you know, I don't know what they did, nor has the family said anything of what they did. Um, maybe just some attention being paid to that. Maybe that. Maybe that helped. Uh, I don't know, but nothing out of this seems outside the physical realm. So, I mean, again, uh, I would just say, you know, um, looking at or l- listening to there's it's only they, they have not released ever the full exorcism audio um, from these sessions. Um, but there is an excerpt that has been released um, and they did play it uh, as part of the, the closing of the, the movie. Um, but I will definitely have a link. OK, but I mean. Like if I had recorded this person doing the Michael Jackson lyrics, uh, it would have sounded really freaky, really creepy. But this person was suffering a lot from mental mental illness. In fact, they transported him later on to um, a psychiatric hospital that was better equipped for something like this. Like this person was beyond what the hospital that I worked for, that was a tiny little hospital, could uh, handle. Again, yeah. So I, I'm totally get that. It's yeah. just this. We're talking about a 12 year old who, again, when you you know, you know, hear what people how they describe it, and then hear the voices that were being made by this child, um, you know, it's a little crazy. And also that it only happened at night, and he was like fine the rest of the day. Uh, actually, at one time, he, his night terrors became day terrors yeah i i so i guess he had s- some he stuff started to the do day. the same stuff during the day mm-hmm. yeah so, so i i don't know anyway so what's your what's your rating for this one well because of my prior experience i'm gonna have to give this a zero okay all right and the, for me this one who this one gets uh this one gets an eight just okay a lot of people saying it and i, I will audio. say i will say that if any of this person's family that I restrained was there and witnessed it, they would have probably thought the worst too. They would have probably thought that this was some, you know, like if, I mean, especially if they're religious, you know, they would have thought that this is obviously some kind of demon taking over this person, but it was just mental illness. It was Michael Jackson? 
I, I mean, unless Michael Jackson, <laughs> you know, went back in time after dying and then, you know, possessed, well, possessed this person. I yeah. mean, that's a whole other episode. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I let's move on to our next piece of evidence. We're going to start to get into Arnie here a little bit. Good. Um, so let's talk about Wanda. Now, okay. I heard that Wanda was Wanda Johnson. So, oh, I'm sorry. Not so. Yeah. So not Debbie's cousin. It was uh, Arnie's sister. Yeah. Arnie's 15. sister. Yeah. 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 I messed it up in my mind. Uh, okay, so Wanda Johnson, right? And and you kind of told the story, so I, mm-hmm. I don't want to repeat it too much. But you know, she says that you know she couldn't explain it. Um, that you know, basically, um, Debbie stood between the two men, and Wanda was holding on to Arnie. Um, mm-hmm. She said he was like stone; that she couldn't budge him. Um, she heard him growling like an animal. She saw something shiny flash in the air and then it just stopped. And when it was over, Arnie just walked into the woods staring straight ahead. Um, and Alan Bono or Bono uh, just stood there punching his fist into his palm for a long moment or two before he fell onto his face and lay there on the ground. And not far from him was the the blade that Arnie carried. So Wanda was a witness to this murder. And I think it's, it's tricky, but there's a couple things here that I think kind of maybe lean towards Arnie being possessed, um, which would be that he was standing like stone, that she couldn't budge him. So he was, it was, you know, he just kind of stopped. Um, and that when it was over, he just walked away like in a trance, you know. And this is something that is the same as the movie where Arnie was just like walking, wakes up essentially kind of mm-hmm. covered in blood. Um, and that that is what happened um, then. Uh, so, yeah, all right, what do you think of this? I, I, I'm, I'm on the fence of it. So, Well, I think he blacked out. Um, but, I, you know, I do want to say something else, though. Mm. Uh, I'm not just going to leave it at I think he blacked out and these things happened. And that would explain a lot of what actually transpired. And a lot of times when you're in a fit of rage, uh, nobody can break you from that fit of rage, Mm -hmm. no matter how much they beg and plead. Yeah. Um, But I will say that not everybody that knew Arnie believed that it was the devil or a demon possession Mm. of him. They have said that he had a very strong temper. And that he was very possessive of of uh, Debbie, and anything that would come in his way, he would he would have a problem with. So I, I like this to me explains that there was a murder. I do believe that there was a murder that took place. I I don't believe that this is like the Sausage King where it wasn't a murder. <laughs> I do believe there was a murder in this case. Um, but I do not believe that this proves any kind of possession. I believe that this proves rage. Mm, interesting. And the grunting and the animal sounds could be something that someone in rage can do. Like they can't, e- they're in such rage, they, they can't even form words. And grunting and growling is all they could do. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, for me, well, uh, for me, that those things, the the animal sounds, um, and the blacking out, uh, you know, kind of, I don't know. To me, um, you know, you mentioned in your history that Debbie said she had seen him go into these trance-like states and and some of this behavior before, um, and so then this is a second person kind of corroborating that. 
Um, so I don't know. To me, but, it's it's. Uh, but that can also be a sign of mental illness as well, interesting. or a symptom of some mental illness. So for me, I'm going to have to give this one a zero too. Okay. I hate to keep giving zeros on this one, but, um, you know, I, I see that this is, again, nothing that's outside of the rules of physics or the physical realm. Okay. Like, I don't see that, like, there's any reason to believe that this was beyond what a human could do. Okay. Uh, I give this one a seven. Um, based on, again, this being something that kind of uh, another person cooperating this. I've never, I don't know, the animal thing, just the grunting and all of that just, just, I mean, I could understand somebody maybe being so upset that they're standing like stone. Um, I could see somebody blacking out after um, the walking into the woods seems weird i've never heard of anything about him having a mental illness um i you know i mean that wasn't ever anything that that i've seen any evidence of so uh anyway well, his, so for me it's a seven his mental illness could be about the rage that he felt for this bono person when bono uh, held on to mary and wouldn't wouldn't let her go yeah, I guess I've just never, I mean, like there was no reports of, I, I know we, there was this one one thing that said people talked to others who said Arnie was very possessive and things like that, but I, I don't have any other recorded evidence of him being violent um, that I found, but um, yeah, all right, you ready for okay. the last one? Yes, I am. Okay, last one, right, so this is going back to, and this is something you mentioned, um, in a haunting, it was claimed by Arnie. That a few days after the exorcism where he he did say, come into me, right? That we, mm -hmm. we said that, um, that a demonic force within him forced him to crash his car into a tree. Um, and I think this was, uh, I, I thought this was the first time something happened that he couldn't remember, but you talked about the well, so I, I don't know. Um, but anyways, so this was uh, that he, he thought that the, the uh, car crash was the result of being possessed. And this happened before murder yeah and i want to say i believe this is another case where it could have been a blackout and he could have been experiencing this uh this high stress level that caused him to have these kind of um fits of rage uh and it could be because he saw everything that was happening to david um you know he could have felt for the for the poor boy um even though i believe you know, that was mental illness as well. But I believe that there, there's a lot of stress. And the more stress somebody goes into, it's possible to have these moments of blacking out. And it would be very possible for someone to black out and crash their car into a tree. In fact, it happens sometimes. Yeah, I don't know. For me, this seems um, like it's all kind of adding up. There's a lot of different things going on. Um, uh, you know, I I don't know. I it's it's just what 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 uh what what cause you believe what causes this um and I I do think that the fact that this happened so closely after the exorcism and that um he called the demon into him um and that you know things that were escalating for him uh you know it uh, makes me a little bit more of a believer about it. Uh, so I give this one a seven. All right. I give it a zero. Okay. 
Anything to do with Ed and Lorraine Warren, I think, is going to be a zero. I mean, I'm trying to believe these things. It just, I I don't, there's nothing that seems to call out to me. So what would be your overall rating? So my overall overall rating for this is going to be a seven. Be a seven. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's not, it's not a 10. You know, okay. like I'm I'm open to there being some other explanations for this. Um, but I do think that there is some decent evidence that there there could be some paranormal involved in this. Yeah. How about right. for you? Uh, I'm going to have to go zero on this one again. <laughs> I just don't believe that there is enough evidence here to um, prove any kind of paranormal activity happening. All right. Let alone a possession. Okay. Uh, So that brings us to the closing arguments. This is our last chance to convince you to vote our way. We are each given one minute of uninterrupted time. We will time each other on our cell phones to keep Rebecca honest. Hey. And this time I will be timing you, Rebecca, so you can't, you know, pull a fast one on Uh us. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, let's go. All right, so I do believe that uh, the devil made Arnie Duncan do it. Arnie Duncan? Oh my gosh, I'm going back into fantasy land. But uh, Arnie Johnson do it. Um, I do think that um, that that David was possessed. Um, I if you listen to that tape, it up until that point, it feels very much like. Eh. Uh, but when you hear it, man, it's, it's, it's kind of freaky. Um, and, and while, yeah, grown men, you know, on drugs and mental illness could do some, some violent things. Um, a 12 year old boy, not on anything. I mean, sure. He again, could have some mental illness, but some of those physical symptoms to me just seem a bit crazy. Uh, and then, you know, what are the chances that he says come into me and then all of a sudden has things happen to him? Um, so I do believe that Arnie was possessed. All right. You made it right to the second there. I did. I did. All right. Are you ready? Yes, I am. Okay. And go. All right. So the question that we have here is, did the devil possess Arnie enough to make him do this? Pretty much. I mean, that's essentially what the question is. I do not believe that we've seen any evidence here that would prove that to be a fact. You might believe it just based upon your beliefs, but if you actually look at the evidence here, there is no evidence. There was a murder that was committed. That murder was heinous, um, but I do not believe that that caused it. Ed and Lorraine have re- uh, repeatedly had stories that are were fabricated going back to Amityville their first one where it is is been debunked 100% debunked and i just don't believe that we can trust anything that involves Ed and Lorraine at this point wow you finished early yes i did okay all right so Thank you so much for listening. Please share us with your friends and family as word of mouth is our best form of advertisement. Uh, Remember to hit that subscribe button or follow button or smash that like button. Smash that button. And uh, just make sure that you spread the word, the word of ghostly. Yes. (laughs) And so we've been watching a lot of Olympics, as I said in the beginning, and we wanted to do, we wanted to do a story that was centered around where the Olympics are being held right now, which is Tokyo, right? Yep. So we are going to be talking about Toyama Park, which is supposedly the most haunted place in the heart of Tokyo. And the next episode that comes out on August 18th. I am 
very excited about this episode. I mean, I watch a lot of horror movies. We all know there's a lot of ghosts in Japan. Um, but this particular space, um, I mean, we're talking medical experiments. We're talking ghosts. We're talking just so many things. And I'm super excited about it. I'm very excited to see how another culture treats the paranormal. Yeah. And I again, I think this one's good because there's a, there's a lot of history involved in it, too, um, as well as the paranormal. Oh, so, I can't stand history. <laughs> no. It's going to be it's going to be excellent. Yeah, I can't wait. But until then, stay ghostly. Bye.